Welcome to the Animal Control Report with your hosts. Oh wait, Ashley Bishop's not here. Dang it, it's just your host, Daniel Ettinger, today. And you're listening to the Animal Control Report. Check us out wherever you listen to Well, I guess you're listening to it wherever you do listen to podcasts, so we appreciate that. Also check out our website, keepithumane.com. Again, keepithumane.com. Get 10% off your order by using discount code ACREPORT. Also check out our social social media pages, The Animal Control Report on Instagram and Facebook. And we also have a TikTok that is the uh, that's Keep It Humane on TikTok. So check all those out. Have fun with that. Uh, please like, share, rate the podcast. If you're on Spotify, you can also follow the podcast there. So we appreciate all that, all that stuff because it helps us uh, just continue to to get the get the word out, get the good info out about animal control stuff. So we're going to have a fun show today. And before we introduce our, our guest, I kind of want to give you some background on me. I uh, started, I, most people probably don't know this, but how I got into animal control in the first place was a wolf sanctuary. I was a volunteer at one in Northern Colorado. It's called WOLF and it stands for Wolves Offered life and freedom wolves offered life and freedom you can check them out i think it's wolfsanctuary.org anyway long story i would go up there on my weekends we would feed buckets of like uh food from like donations grocery stores uh those type of places we'd fill that up with meat etc and then toss it in to some of the enclosures some of the enclosures we would go into and there were some wolves or wolf dogs uh, that were super awesome like they 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 almost were just like giant dogs i mean really big dogs and so that was such an amazing like entry into just animal welfare in this profession in some aspects because i don't know if most people know this if you're looking at your chihuahua right now or maybe your french bulldog or your german shepherd dog or cane corso whatever it may be there's got to be a, a link right back to our wild dogs our wolves etc so uh, it's a really neat neat um experience something that i'll always uh, kind of value and uh we we wanted to well we because bishop's not here but i still say we we wanted to get uh, someone on that had direct knowledge of wolves and in that aspect i don't think we've ever done a program specifically on wolves and and so today uh, that's what we're going to do so i want to introduce our guest Lori win Lori is the founder and ceo of Guardian of the Wolves, um, and you can check out their website, guardianofthewolves.org. Lori, welcome to the Animal Control Report. How are you doing? Thank you, Daniel. I'm happy to be here, and I'm doing well, and I loved your story about Wolf. Um, I am a big fan of Wolf, and their previous director of rescue was our vice president's mentor. Oh, no way. So did you know Frank? I didn't. Okay, so um, Frank I was... Susan Wydell, who was... Okay. Um, and now Keith is with them, and they do wonderful things. They're a great organization. Frank uh, was the founder. I think him and his wife at the time founded it many years ago. And I'll never forget this guy. He uh, he lived on the property. Now, they since moved, but he lived on the property. And he'd come in, and it was kind of like his house. However, like the living room area was also the, I don't know, like the central area where all the volunteers and such would meet and kind of hang out and my man smoked cigarettes in his house it was just 
it was something out of the movies. Like he, he, I couldn't describe it any better than like, you would just, you could cut the room with a knife from the smoke. And the man's heart was so big on wanting to help these animals. uh, It overshadowed, you know, his his love for Paul Malls or whatever it was that he was smoking at the time. So uh, Frank was a good guy and and he he taught me a lot and uh, just so grateful for that experience. That's awesome. So talk to me a little bit about what got you started. So I see you have a background and you're like an accountant, construction hat. You have that hat, uh, land use consultant, doing permits, rezoning, that type of stuff. Like what got you into wanting to, to be involved with these amazing animals? So almost 23 years ago, I got my first wolf dog, um, an upper content. I named him Lobo. I got him from one of the original breeders that um, acquired animals when the fur farms were shut down. He was direct lineage to Davidson Fur Farm in Minnesota. Um, When he turned about two, I knew he needed a mate. So I I contacted her and I I got um, who would be Sage. Sage ended up becoming an amazing ambassador wolf dog. Um, simultaneously, Wolf Connection in um, Northern Los Angeles asked me to be a board member. Um, so I, I was, and I'd go up there though and spend time with the animals on the weekends and go hiking and whatnot with them. I ended up stepping down from the, the board because I do have a construction and land use um, background. So they were acquiring a property and we were going to have to write a conditional use permit. Um, It was permitted for everything but wolves and wolf dogs. So I did that pro bono for them for a couple of years and they're on their, they've been on their new property for five or six, maybe seven years now. It's beautiful. They can have 75 animals. They run therapy programs, um, school programs with at-risk youth. They, They do great things up there. But um, another sanctuary contacted me, Wolf Mountain Sanctuary in San Bernardino, California, and asked um, Sage and I to start doing their offsite events for them for fundraising purposes. So they gave Sage the title of um, Ambassador Sage. She's one of the most, or was, she passed a few years ago at 15, but she was one of the most accomplished ambassador, female ambassador wolf dogs there ever was. Um, educational presentations, schools, um, Comic-Con, library events, just anything you can make it think of. She also, being in Los Angeles at the time, she had an opportunity to have um, a Hollywood career. She did some movies, some music videos and whatnot. So she sparked the vision of Guardians of the Wolves for me. It became a heart project, a platform for her. So I wrote the 501 and, um, you know, formed Guardians of the Wolves and did everything under Guardians of the Wolves. As far as education, um, we were very active when the first wolf came into California after almost 100 years um, with the Endangered Species Act and um, the wolf management. The, the hunters and ranchers didn't want wolves in California. And um, so we spoke at the wolf management meetings. I had Sage by my side at the podium and um, we won. It took a village. There were a lot of great advocates there, but we won. And um, till today, 
California is one of the few states that's really protecting these animals. We, I want to really talk, like, and I think we'll go back to it, but I do want to talk about reintroducing wolves into our just ecosystem and the impact that has, because it comes up a lot on legislation and I hear a lot of complaints on that. And so, but before we do, before we get into that, I want to get a little bit uh, more, more info from your organization. So for those listening again, guardiansofthewolves.org, you can check out the website. Uh, you can get involved there. When, when we talk about education, what kind of programs, like you're, you're talking about this whole thing with the legislation stuff, what kind of programs do you offer and how do, like if animal control officers are listening, how do they kind of reach out? How do they maybe even, I don't know, partner or, or, you know, get some of the information so they can help educate if, if a question about wolves comes up. We would love to do like training seminars with animal control because so many animal control officers um, don't understand that there really is nothing, no such thing as a big bad wolf. Um, There, and and I'm going to use this current situation that happened on the end of this year into the end of last year into the spring. So there's a county in um, Northern Virginia that had absolutely no wolf dog legislation whatsoever. We happened to have been living there, Sage and I, or excuse me, Rosemary and I, Sage had already passed. And um, animal control brought to the table to the board of supervisors that they wanted to add, they wanted to enforce a venomous animal ban with alligators and the venomous snakes. And they decided they wanted to put wolf dog wolf hybrids on this venomous animal ban as well. So I spoke in front of the county board of supervisors for four months in a row. But my first question to animal control was, have you ever had an incident with a wolf dog or a wolf hybrid in this county? And they said no. So why are they putting an animal they've never even had an incident with on a venomous animal ban? So I brought the education first. Um, USDA categorizes them as a domestic canine. They get all the same vaccines as a regular canine. They really aren't pets. They're companion animals. Um, I educated, you know, the difference between a wolf, a wolf hybrid, a wolf hybrid being one parent is a pure wolf. The other parent is either a wolf dog or a dog. And then wolf dogs, which mostly are multi-generational, going way back into the 50s from the fur farms. There is some newer lineage out there. But I brought the education. I brought the compassion, how these animals can be used in therapy work. Um, Many organizations do do that. We do that. We've done hospice work. We've done um, adults with disabilities, assisted living, children with disabilities, you know, and there's, there's just a healing power to these animals. There really is. When you, you, you brought up something that I think maybe some of the listeners are going to ask, because a lot of times when you hear about these wolf dogs, the, the main complaint or the comments, the feedback I get is you can't give them a rabies vaccination because it's not proven that rabies vaccinations work. Is this a myth? Okay. So it's sort of a myth and sort of not, and I'm glad you brought this up. So the FDA has not approved the rabies vaccine. However, we all vaccinate for rabies and through a titers test, 
three months after vaccine, six months after vaccine, a year, or so on and so on, you can run a titers test and show that these animals are indeed holding the rabies antibodies. So the shots work. It's just the FDA has will not approve it. Now, a couple of years ago, I reached out to UC Davis, who um, their veterinary medicine part of that university is state-of-the-art, about doing a study and taking maybe 500 private owners and um, ha having their vets vaccinate for rabies, sending the paperwork to UC Davis, following it up with titers tests every quarter or every six months for five years to show that the rabies vaccine does indeed work. However, they declined me. So it is an issue um, because, well, one, some of these animals would make really great service dogs and they can't be because according to the ADA, they have to be um, up on, you know, on all of their, up to date on all their vaccines. And with the rabies not being approved, they're considered unvaccinated. Tell me about, wait, wait, I've actually, this is the first time I've heard of that. Are there any current service animals that may be unregistered as one or however you would define that because of the rabies situation? But what kind of tasks are wolf dogs being trained to do? So my girl, Sage, she was an emotional support animal. And Rosemary, um, she's two and a half. She, um, I acquired her after Sage passed. They bring an emotional healing um which is is different though than a service animal i just want to be clear on that correct because, yeah correct so they can be emotional support animals um i don't know of any actually trained in service dog tasks okay, okay. i do know of one um so maryland happens to be an illegal state for wolf dogs and wolf hybrids but i do know a gentleman there that his animal he does have a wolf dog there legally um, and his dog and him do search and rescue together. So there are some out there that are trained for some tasks. Um, and this, and this animal is just amazing in search and rescue. Um, they're able, you know, they have a, a great scent, so they're really able to track scents and whatnot. So for search and rescue, that's a great task for somebody to teach them. Um, but on the emotional support and I mean, I've just seen some miracles, especially doing hospice work, how these animals can bring so much peace to somebody. And I've had my own um, emotional hardships and, and I'll share real quick. My daughter was diagnosed with brain cancer last year and, um, had a craniotomy and went through radiation and chemotherapy and everything. And when I'd come home from the hospital each night or from her home, Rosemary was the one to greet me and just let me put my arms around her and cry on her back. She brought me so much healing and so much therapy during one of the hardest times in my life. And I was surprised because she was only a year old at the time. But Sage did the same thing, and not only to me, you know, but to others. Like, we have, we run some therapy programs here, and even, like, when we go out for, like, socialization and whatnot, they just know to pick the person that needs them. Um, I had a bunch of therapists out here a few months ago, and the founder of that organization, 
she had just had a knee surgery and she was in a lot of pain and Rosemary was giving everybody love and kisses and all of that. But she honed in on this woman's knee and, um, was just being like really just soft and special and, and kissing it and everything. And I didn't know the woman had had, you know, was recovering from a painful knee surgery. So the woman, you know, she, the director said, this is so strange because I just had a knee surgery on this knee. So they just know, um, I know of a few people that are responsible wolf dog owners and they were able to, um, I won't say detect the cancer, perhaps maybe they did, but a, a specific friend, um, actually down here in Virginia, he, um, he got cancer and all of a sudden the animal started to be a little aggressive towards him. And it, you know, it came to find, he didn't know he had cancer at the time and he couldn't understand why the dog was, was a little aggressive towards him. You know, this is his dog he's had since it's been a baby. And then he got diagnosed, diagnosed with some serious cancer and it made sense if the dog picked it up and the energy from it, you know, scared the animal. Since then he is in remission and the dog is not like that towards him anymore. It's amazing how, and I learned that too. So like my experience is this, ultimately my experience in the wolf sanctuary world, like that was my exposure. I then from volunteering with wolves started volunteering at an animal shelter, but it, it started there. And there was this connection that I can't really put into words. All I can say is I could feel that animals had more energy than maybe what is advertised in our culture as far as like, Oh, it's just a pet or it's just a, it's just a, a bunny rabbit in your yard. And for some of the ACOs that are listening to this episode, they've picked up injured wildlife. Maybe it's been a squirrel. Right. Um, and I know, I know from my own experience that that squirrel, you know, carries that energy specific to whatever it is. Like, I can't speak about soul or I can't speak about, you know, some of those other things like religion and things of that nature. But when it comes down to energy, we all have it and we all exhibit it in certain ways. And so wolves obviously presented themselves with pretty significant energy to have man be interested in figuring out ways to, to live amongst them. And I don't, necessarily want to say that man tamed wolves because we don't know wolves could have tamed themselves right like that there may be studies into that wolves could have been like you know what i'm gonna befriend this human versus the human befriending it i don't know if there's some deep you know deep investigations into that people think that man just you know started feeding wolves and wolves are like cool but we don't know so in that aspect we can learn so much from wolves and people have right Right. I mean, the family values, the, the principles of a pack, they mate for life, how the pack, like the aunties and the cousins and whatnot, and the big sisters, they'll regurgitate their food to feed the pups. Um, they work as a family unit. So, you know, there's no such thing as divorce or anything. You know, once you have a bonded, uh, you know, a breeding pair, which used to be called the alpha pair that's been debunked. But um, yeah, I've heard that too that, that they're not using that line of dogs anymore. So the breeding pair would be yeah. the, the bosses. It's a family, 
is it's what they a family to, unit yeah. and they work um as a family and we as human beings can learn so much from them and you know you got the indigenous people and we've done a lot of work um with wolves and indigenous we were in the council of the 13 indigenous grandmothers on a res in lame deer montana for the northern cheyenne and it was to heal the bloodstained land of what happened at little bighorn and the grandmothers rode into the ceremonial grounds on horses and normally animals are not allowed in ceremonial grounds in sacred ceremony and we were allowed to walk the wolves in alongside the grandmothers on the horses and um even were allowed to have the wolves at the sacred fire but the people there was bleachers all around this little outdoor stadium that this was held in on on the northern cheyenne reservation you know the the grandstand the bleachers was filled with people and the pain and the tears and they were singing a, a wolf kind of chant and just the healing i'm getting goosebumps right now just sharing this with you the energy from this all and the animals it was i mean i cried for 96 hours straight um and, and really couldn't figure out why but it was the energy the these animals were giving to heal the land and you know there's a reason that these the wolf is one of the most sacred animals to the indigenous culture because they understand um and I, I truly believe that we learn from them. I, I learn every day from my animals. They're, they are teachers. They are. Let's jump into, I, I brought it up earlier. So the whole reintroduction of wolves and that process. I, I The reason I bring it up is, you know, I worked in the Denver metro area for quite some time and lived there for quite some time. And then my last year in Colorado, I moved to the mountains, mountains and really got a different view on how people saw wolves. And so part of their concern is they're going to take livestock, right? And so what I learned from that is wolves are opportunistic hunters, right? They they really prey on the weak, the elderly, the sick, the injured, right? Their, their goal is to, to kind of be natural uh, grim reapers in that aspect. And maybe that's a dark way to explain it, but like they go for the ones that are close to death in some in some regard. Uh, the, the states, a lot of states will, uh, like have some sort of, uh, I don't think surplus is the right word, but have some sort of financial, uh, like insurance for ranchers if they do lose animals to, uh, to, to wildlife. Correct. What, the federal the, government has a program. Yeah. One yeah. of the things that, that really sat with me that I heard up in the mountains was one of the, uh, one of the persons I talked to is. People in the city that don't have this agricultural background shouldn't be making decisions for people that actually have the livestock that produces the food for the community. And I, I kind of, that's a tough one. That was a tough one for me to bite my tongue on. And, and part of it is like people in the city might be really educated on biology and understand animal sciences. Not everybody, but there may be some that are really educated and say and understand what positive impacts that to the ecosystem that wolves will bring. And so help me understand, I guess, let's start with this. How many states currently in the U S have like documented wild, you know, wild wolves. Minnesota, Michigan, Idaho, Montana, California, 
Um, there's some red wolves in North Carolina. Um, I'm sorry, my alarm is going off for some reason. Time to wake up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Wyoming, Idaho. So we've worked with ranchers and this is the problem with a lot of wolf advocates. You know, a lot of cattle is grazing on public land and wolves were there first. But my approach is, hey, they're here together. Your cattle is as important to us as our wolves are. Let's learn to coexist. So um, I've worked with successfully a lot of ranchers in the Northern California area because they're, they were under the impression, you know, the government dropped these 200 pound dire wolves to eat their children. And, and, you know, that just wasn't the case. The first wolf there came in from Oregon named OR7, which would end up becoming the Shasta Pack. So I worked with them on education about wolves and basically what you just said, um, they're not there to eat their cattle. You know, they, they, they hunt for food. They, they're not trophy hunters. And yes, they will go after the weak and the sick first. But I also taught cattle ranchers how to protect their cattle. And, and it can be really simple. There's some really simple methods that can be used. One is you can play a CD of a wolf pack howling. And if you play this at night, wolves are going to think that's another pack's territory and they're not going to go there. And this was proven um, many, many, many years ago in Iceland. Also, um, I don't know if you ever saw the show Yellowstone, um, but there was something real true about how wolves are lured out of the park in Montana, and they're only protected in the park. So on one of the episodes of Yellowstone, um, one of the horses got injured on a trail ride or a roundup or something, and they left the horse, the horse out there. And they came back at night with night vision gear on and rifles and whatnot, and it lured out some of the Yellowstone wolves. And this is true. This is really what happens in Yellowstone. So the, the Yellowstone wolves don't know. They're not protected if they take a step out of the park. So on the, the show Yellowstone, the wolves went to get the, cat, the, the horse that was dead there you know, to eat. And then the, the ranchers shot the wolves. And they ended up being collared Yellowstone wolves. But all that to stop that from happening say you have a cattle that that dies all you have to do is salt it the wolves will come maybe they will not eat that salted cow or salted whatever type of life time out time out time out you're talking about like literally spraying salt on the coat of the cow yes covering it with salt that will does that does that harm it or does that make someone's steak salty no, this would be for dead cattle. So a lot of the times um, a dead animal will lure the wolves to that area. Um, so instead of leaving the animal there expired, if the, the ranchers would salt the animal, it would keep the wolves away. Um, there's other things too with guard dogs, um, you know, herding dogs and whatnot. And My favorite is the Caucasian Shepherd, so get you one of those if you're a rancher. And then put yeah, one of those spiky I mean, collars on that. On the neck. But, you know, ranchers, unfortunately, a lot of advocates are, you know, have the mindset 
our wolves were here first, you're on public land and you need to go. And you know what, they're not gonna go. So we have to educate the ranchers and work together to keep their cattle safe and to keep the wolves safe. And I know in Colorado right now, um, I got to be part, uh, a little bit, a part of the reintroduction when it was going into legislation and worked with the Ted Turner Foundation on that. But I know there's, um, first off, there wasn't any states. So the st most of the states I mentioned, um, wolves are not protected in. They do issue permits and tags to hunt. And so Colorado has reached out to many of these states trying to get wolves for the reintroduction. And all of these states have, have turned them down. We just found out, I'd say maybe a month ago, that Oregon, so Oregon's another state that has some wild wolves. It's, it's strange. Part of Oregon is protected under the Endangered Species Act, and part of Oregon is not. But Oregon Fish and Wildlife has agreed to give Colorado some wolves for the reintroduction. Locals that I know in the area, they're frightened that these wolves are going to be killed. Um, I know that someone in Congress in Colorado um, there's billboards all over about her and the relist wolves campaign. You know, she's trying actively to get wolves completely removed from the endangered species list in the states that are protecting them, including California. I just, I find this so, I don't know if it's irony. I don't know the right word to describe it, but like the people that are like, we can't allow wolves back in our communities because they're going to eat our livestock are the same people that are going to go hunt anything it's it's just exactly it, it, it cracks me up a little bit so i all right i, I really think it's incredible and, and now i want to kind of shift gears a little bit again guardians of the org. check out the website how do you work together with animal control if i'm out on a call and our team we get a wolf dog mix i don't like to say hybrid because hybrid means you can't reproduce correct no, a hybrid is an F1. So that means one parent is a pure wolf and the okay. other parent is either a doggy dog or a wolf dog. Okay. So we actually went to Alaska this year and rescued some true wolf hybrids, the, a pairing very unique of a wild wolf with a domestic dog in a very small village in Soldavia. You can only get to by boat. We worked with United States Fish and Wildlife Service and we went up there and um, Alaska is an illegal state for ownership. And we went up there and we rescued these true hybrids. So if I, if I'm out investigating a crime, not a crime, because, well, it could be depending on the county that you're in. Right. Um, and I get this, I impound a wolf dog. Can you help animal control place that dog? If, if it's not adoptable and they don't want to euthanize it, is there a way to get a rescue group to say, okay, we can take it. And yes, so we are a rescue group. Um, we do a lot of rescue, a couple hundred a year. So quite often, animal control will contact me directly. Um, quite often, the people that follow different animal controls and stuff will have it posted on their Facebook page that they have a wolf hybrid or a wolf dog, and I'll get tagged in it. And what I'll do is I'll call the shelter. And um, we'll try to do a phenotype on a video call if we can, because a lot of times these are huskies, or, you know, they, or, or mal malamutes, right? And people think right. here's here's the giveaway, and maybe you can help Lori with this giveaway. For me, I have not been around wolves as long as you. However, for me, the giveaway 
is always how lanky and long those legs are. Absolutely. That's a, that's a definite tell. The legs are long and lanky. The chest space between the front legs is very narrow. How they hold their back legs is very narrow. Um, the ears are a giveaway. The length of the snout, the stop on the forehead, um, the shoulders. The shoulders are just really big on wolves and wolf, you know, higher content wolf dogs. Sure. So when they end up in the shelter, I'll contact the shelter. I just did one I, two weeks ago. Uh, well, I'm doing one right now in Utah with animal control. But um, two weeks ago, Animal Control posted about this black wolf dog that was on the run, posted pictures, said it was a dangerous animal, stay away, watch your children. So I, um, somebody had already reached out to me saying that their wolf dog got out and I had already been tagged in the Animal Control post. So I called Animal Control in Northern California and I explained, you know, this is somebody's animal. He's a family dog. He's not dangerous. Like, you know, can I put a hold on the animal if you're up, if, if you happen to catch it? So when, so when there's a wolf dog or a wolf hybrid already in custody at an animal control shelter and I'm brought aware of it or made aware of it, I will contact the shelter. And because we're a nonprofit organization, I can put a hold on the animal and that will stop it from, um, euthanization if it's a kill shelter. And we will pause. Arrange. We're going to, we're going to pause because part of this program is to help, uh, change and, and bring light into that term kill shelters. Cause I just can't do that. I can't, uh, continue this program in that aspect. And it's no disrespect. The no reality problem. is we, we've become trained, unfortunately, as a society to think there's something between kill and no kill. The reality is euthanasia, unfortunately has to happen. Uh, and we shouldn't be using these labels kill. Uh, and I just did a class on this kill was the 1800s when there were dogs that were basically brought in by the dog catcher and put in iron cages and then drowned in the East river of New York. Uh, oh euthanasia God. happens. Euthanasia happens, unfortunately, because we don't have access to care. We don't have the ability to stop the pipeline of all these animals being bred, 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 and then brought to the, the shelters. And then when people have this idea that there's no kill versus kill, People think, well, if I adopt a dog or have a dog and I can't keep it anymore, I'll find a way to get it to a no-kill shelter, which unfortunately doesn't exist. And it just causes this overload. Uh, so I, I have to I have to address it when I hear it, just from an educational standpoint. Um, it's, it's my job and I think the duty of the podcast to, to really advocate for something that we call, I'll happily introduce you to this now, it's called smart shelters. And so smart shelters, the whole idea or concept is to get away from that language. And the acronym stands for saving the majority of animals with responsible treatment. And the idea behind that is no healthy, happy, you know, adoptable animal should get euthanized, right? And so if it's a behavioral issue or a medical issue, it's something that obviously those decisions have to be made. But um, I just, I think part, part of the problem that our community has in general, uh, is that there's this kind of kill versus no kill. And you see it a lot. Uh, there was a case out of Denver where a, a dog had a second bite and bit a kid on the, on the face and a rescue group that advertises as being no kill, uh, came in. And one of the quotes from the CEO or the founder of that group, the way that they said it was in referencing, referencing the animal shelter that had the dog and was going to make that difficult decision, 
for public safety, not to put the dog down. The rescue group that advertises being no kill said, I quote, we really beat them down. So like they were excited about the idea of like being able to kind of bully a municipal shelter that was just trying to protect public health and safety. And so we as an industry just need to get away from those labels and, and just try to be smart. And that's why we came up with that uh, acronym SMART. So anyway, uh, back to how do people, if I had, let's say tomorrow, someone listening to this program or right now they have a wolf dog in their custody. How do they get in touch with you? How do you help them place that dog? So a lot of times I'll get tagged in Facebook posts. Um, quite often my phone numbers on the website, I'll get direct calls. There's also, we have an email, um, submission form on our website that comes directly to me. So, um, if it's somebody that has a wolf dog and they need to surrender it for whatever reason, um, sometimes it's, you know, they got married, they had a baby, they got another dog. It's not working out. They're moving to an illegal area. There's tons of reasons why people surrender the dogs. Um, there's a lot of wolf dog Facebook groups. So quite frequently through that, because I'm known in the wolf dog community, people will private message me. So then our process is we send um, an intake form where they would fill out about the animal's characteristics and try to give us as much information as um, they can on the animal. I have a rescue team. Once we receive the, the form, the, um, the characteristic form, I send it to my team. We pre-vet responsible owners for foster or long-term, you know, forever ownership. We have a very strict vetting process because once we place an animal, we don't want to have to place it again. Yeah. It's, you know, the animals come first and it's, it's not going to be beneficial to the animal's well-being to be bounced around and around and around. So um, if we can't find a forever home immediately, we have foster care partners and we'll put it in foster care and support it and then um, work diligently on finding a forever home to adopt the animal. Are you specific to certain states or is this something you could do? Nationally. Uh, nationally. That's nationally. great. And I mean, literally from Southern California up to the Northeast, you know, and everywhere in between. That's um, fantastic. Just in the last few weeks, you know, I'm working one in Utah, one in California, um, some in West Virginia, Florida, just all over the country. The need is everywhere. Now, yeah. there are times where there is behavioral problems and this animal cannot be rehomed. So because we're not a sanctuary, we have um, the availability to sponsor these animals and we will donate to a sanctuary. And all sanctuaries are full, just throwing that out there. There's no sanctuary that has space anymore, but there's several that are just so kind and wonderful that they'll build a containment and they'll bring in a wolf dog for us. So we'll fund, we'll pay for the material for them to build a containment. We'll pay for the spay and neuter. We'll pay for the transportation. We'll pay for the initial vet care and whatnot. Um, And when we have funds, we'll continue to support, you know, the sanctuary with food donations or or whatever they may need. So um, there's a few really great sanctuaries out there that we partner up with that we have funded to be able to take in animals that are not able to be rehomed and they get rehabilitated there and they live amongst their own 
and, um, you know, they can still have a decent life. Of course, it's not the same as living in a private home, but some have just come from so much trauma or the results of inbreeding or backyard breeding that, you know, not all can make it to a good home. Absolutely. And I learned that uh, at the sanctuary. There were some that would pace at the top. Uh, you'd go in to clean, right? And they would they would find the distance that is furthest away from people, right? And they would just pace back and forth. So it was very uncomfortable for them. Because Again, they've been let down by humans. I just brought a boy in last Sunday that he was sold by a very responsible breeder to a gentleman. And first year of his life, they were having a great life. And we're not sure exactly what happened. Um, it's a high content wolf dog, great lineage, but the dog it was either stolen, escaped. We don't know for sure, but it ended up around some cattle ranches. He and um, so he called animal control, and animal control in Central California picked him up, and um, they, he was going to be euthanized. So a wonderful refuge in Wolf Refuge in Nevada, literally one minute before the, the euthanization time was scheduled, they showed up there. They made a four or five hour drive and, and picked him up and brought him back to their refuge, got him vetted, got his rabies shot, got him neutered. And then through social media, the breeder, they posted everywhere and it was just shared so many thousands of times and you know with sure. guardians of the wolves and everything yeah. one of their volunteers saw the post where they were actively looking for this animal that they had bred and um so one of the volunteers saw the post she contacted the curator and said they had renamed him amarok said i believe this is amarok that they're looking for so um, the curator contacted the breeder. The breeder happens to be my vice president. Um, we're not anti-breeding, we're anti-ethical breeding. And there are only a handful of ethical breeders out there. I, I, wanna, I wanna also comment on that. I think that's, I've never actually heard it said. Um, so you're not anti-breeding, right? You said you're anti-unethical breeding? Correct. Yeah, and I, I think that's super huge. Uh, again, I talk about access to care. Uh, uh, you know, there's certain animals that are bred for certain things, right? Or, um, you know, a, a bloodline of service dogs or a bloodline of police dogs or working dogs, etc. Uh, the aspects of like, okay, I just want a little Cavalier King Charles Spaniel to sit on my lap. You can go get a scruffy dog from the shelter. That, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's a little different. Not to say that we should lose lose the bloodlines of those animals, but just being responsible how we do it. I just, again, I want, for our listeners... Uh, the, the website, the phone number is right there. So if you, if you want to write it down now, you can. If you want to go to the website, you can. Again, guardiansofthewolves.com. Oh, sorry, .org. I, I said it right the whole time. And then yeah. the last one, because I, I really want to get the phone number. 310-940-4097. Again, 310-940-4097. So if you have a wolf dog in a, in a situation and you need some guidance or help, or just, I'm sure you could give guidance on identification and just say, hey, this is not. That looks like a Malamute Great Pyrenees mix or a Malamute Anatolian mix, right? So uh, I'm sure you can give that guidance. Uh, really quick, before we before we wrap up, is there any truth to if, a, if it has blue eyes, it's not a wolf dog? No. <laughs> um, so blue eyes in a wolf or wolf dog is rare. 
Um, it, it usually would come from, you know, a husky or a malamute or something, but there can be a genetic mutation in a wolf that it actually displays blue eyes. It's very rare. So, you know, like I said, usually when you see it in a wolf dog, it is pulling through from the husky or, or the malamute side. Very cool. Is there anything you had that we didn't cover? You want to make sure our listeners know, uh, we really appreciate you taking this time out. Uh, it's been really exciting, especially someone for me that, I mean, I, I obviously brings me back uh, to, to kind of being in that environment with the wolf. So I'm just kind of curious if there was anything we didn't get to that you wanted to make sure our listeners heard. Um, I just like to say if, you know, animal control or anybody that is in possessions of these animals need help, please reach out to us because we're here to help. Um, you know, preservation through education. We will educate, you know, we will volunteer our time. We're here to help. Um, you guys are our allies and um, we care about these animals. And there is no such thing as a big bad wolf. This is a misunderstood fairy tale that started, you know, with little red and all her little friends. But we're here to help everybody, whether you're an owner that's struggling or a sanctuary that's struggling or animal control that's unsure or animal control that's picked up a wolf dog or hybrid that um, knows that it should go to a home. We're here to help. We will place a hold and we will find a home for it. I, I also I just want to say if any profession can understand kind of the misunderstanding it's animal control, right? Cause we're often labeled the dog catcher or our shelters are labeled the kill shelter, or, uh, we, you know, people call in about the big, bad, mean pit bull. Right. So we understand that miss, that misnomer, that miss, you know, that mislabeling, if you will. And so I think this, this, you know, ability to reach us on this level is absolutely, it's it's a match made in heaven in that regard. And so I'm grateful that you took time out to help our listeners uh, understand and just be a resource in the community because these animals are, are out there. Thank My you. last question for you, I, it's probably hard, but is there a rough estimate on how many wolf dogs may be in the United States? I would be guessing that probably a couple hundred thousand. Okay. So quite a bit. Um, from all quite different content, you know, from 5% to, you know, 99 plus percent. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And I do want to say something real quick. So one of, of my board members is an ACO. And um, if you know any ACO um, locations that would like us to do a no charge Zoom training seminar for them, we are more than happy to. Okay. Well, our listeners can reach out directly too, because that might be really helpful in communities that uh, that need it. I think that's great, and and even I would imagine, uh, depending on locations, you can probably go to some of the in person ACO conferences as well if necessary. Yeah, absolutely, and I can bring my ambassador. Let's go. Yep. Yeah. Let's you know, make that happen. Yeah, we can do that. We can make that happen. What part of the country are you in, Lori? I'm in Virginia, but I have an ambassador program as well. It's called the SAFE program. So I have ambassador heroes all over the country right now doing great things under us. You have someone here close so, to me in Southern California in, in uh, Rolando Beach. Is that, is that right? Are you in Rolando Beach? No, I'm just right up the right down oh, the street. 
Yeah, oh, okay. So I'm from Redondo Beach. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, I love Redondo Beach, and um, but I moved to the East Coast a few years ago with my wolf dog. We flew on a plane across country together. Wow. But I will be back in that area personally with my wolf dog in May. Um, U.S. Forestry um, L.A. Fire has asked us to be one of their vendors in a booth at the L.A. County Fairground. Well, sh- shoot me a message. I'd love to come up and meet the uh, guardian and uh, meet you in you. person. That'd be great. Yeah, that would be awesome. And I would actually come down to Redondo Beach and bring my wolf dog. Because Sage, that was our beach. And we oh. used to walk on the beach in Redondo and the pier every single day and go to Captain Kids and get some salmon for her. And <laughs> Well, we really appreciate it. Normally on the show, me and Bishop like to say thanks for listening and keep it humane, Maine. But today, I'm going to end it by saying thanks for listening and keep it how Maine, Maine. Ow. <laughs>